you know, to me, it's you can make any job interesting for yourself. And I think that's something that I've learned, you know, in, in my recent years, let's say, or my my long years of different careers. But, you know, it's really important to, to, to highlight that because I've had other jobs that are, you know, I started taking up different responsibilities because I was bored. And I was like, well, how can I learn? So maybe I can be part of this group or maybe let me take care of this side of it. And I think that's something maybe important to, to, to sort of get across to young people that, you know, if your job does get boring, have a look first if if you can make it better. Talk to people in the organisation, see if you can learn from them in different areas, you know. G'day, guys. Coming up on the show today is Barbara Sikorsky, otherwise known as Basha. Basha is the global head of media operations at SailGP and far from a stranger to international events. Previously, she has worked at the likes of the 2016 Rio Olympics, the 2018 Pyeongchang Winter Olympics, Tokyo 2020, and the International Paralympic Committee, just to name a few. She's now on the EPIC team at SailGP, where she manages everything to do with media and operations for the global event. There's lots to look out for, including what it's like to work at such major events, the ins and outs of traveling so much for work, and the skills needed to work in a role like hers. And if you like this episode, you can come along and meet Basher at our Sydney meetup on Thursday, February 15, where she'll be a guest speaker. Very, very exciting. Let's go. I started volunteering. It's all about who you know in sport. Am I going to be calling the last 10 seconds of the grand final? You can connect with the interviewer. The hand goes up when they've got to make a decision. Having a network is one of the most important things you can do. I didn't necessarily follow my passion. I followed my curiosity. Once you've worked in sport, there's no going back. And then lo and behold, before I left, I got offered two. Hello and welcome to the Sports Guide podcast, the ultimate guide to make it in the sports industry. We are on fire, as you may have noticed. I'm Ryan Walker. Joining me is the yachtsman, Reuben Williams, and we are two mates who met at Cricket Australia. And each week, we learn how people made it in the sports industry. We tease out their career decisions, their work habits, skills, and everything they do that makes them great. Also, you can learn how to get in, get promoted, and get thriving in the sports industry. Wow, what an intro. <laughs> Ryan, I'm almost crying at the word yachtsman. I think every single week you're like, oh, gosh, I need to think of a word for Ruben. We've doubled up, we've tripled up on all the different adjectives in the dictionary and then you pull out yachtsman. <laughs> <laughs> well, we also say it's a it's – is that an adjective? I don't know. I don't think it is. I think it's a, <laughs> it's a noun. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not very good in that area, to be honest. What is a noun? But anyway, the yachtsman. I thought, you know, I remember back in the day, I used to like pick the word directly on theme with what we're talking about. And I reckon I shifted away from that a little bit. So now I'm getting back on the straight course. And if we're talking sailing, mm. yachtsman. Well, works. I, I did board a yacht over the summer. That was quite nice. Well, I did think of that as well. There's been a <laughs> bit of yacht content uh, from <laughs> over the table. So uh, yeah, I thought it suits. I like you it. You could be I- a yachtsman. Oh, yeah, why not? Maybe we'll give it a go. We're heading up to Sydney for the Sail GP in, a, in a couple of weeks. So maybe maybe they'll let us onto a boat for we need a to bit. get you on a boat, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Maybe they'll identify a yachtsman when they see one. Oh, they'll see it, mate. They'll see it. Yeah. Hey, uh, what's been happening? Mate, uh, thing, things are very normal. Things are very back to normal. I think last time we did a Sail GP episode, I was over in Saint-Tropez in, the, in southern France, a beautiful part of the world. Oh, uh, yes. And... Um, had an amazing weekend over there watching the yachts and uh, then had quite the adventure coming home where I ended up with only 10 euros in cash to get myself oh, yeah. from Saint-Tropez <laughs> to uh, Marseille Airport. If anyone wants to find out what happened, you can go back and listen to that episode. But in comparison to the last time we talked about GP, things are very normal. Yeah, I've gone back to playing cricket. I've only been able to fit in two one-day matches this season. That's kind of the extent of yep. my cricketing commitment at the moment. First game. Not too bad. First game back in a long time into the ones. Twenty six yeah. not out. And I'll, nice. I'll, I'll take that. Not 100% dismissed. Then you take that. Absolutely. But then this week, I got a bit carried away. I thought, oh, yeah, I've still got it. Twenty six. No one's dismissed me yet. You know, I could have gone on, on with it. Yeah. And uh, I made a duck. And right. uh, I realised actually there's probably a reason why I haven't stepped back in, onto a cricket field in a while. So did, it, did I've I been, hear I've as been well? Humbled. Uh, yeah, you've been humbled. Did I? Did I hear that? You were chirping a little bit, and that kind of may have resulted in the duck. 
Well, it, maybe you can shed some light on that. It may be no surprise to anybody that I do love to talk a lot, and yeah. that does not change when I step into a cricket field. And so I, I do my part to try and, yeah, you know, add pressure to the batsman. We're trying to get you out here, so tell them what they're doing. Yeah, and, exactly. Yeah. I'll just remind them of the game situation and you yeah. know the shots they're playing, and whatnot, and. Uh, if it helps their dismissal, then so be it. But that doesn't necessarily mean I can back it up with a bat at no. all. So no. <laughs> that's the hard part about playing cricket. <laughs> no, fair enough. Well, sometimes you get humbled in the game of cricket, mm. which I've found over many years. So yep. it ha- it happens. It happens. It happens. Hey, uh, let's get cracking on the app. Um, for those listening, if you don't already, follow us on LinkedIn. That's where you can keep up with us and hundreds of other people working in the sports industry. And we've also got one of our member intakes coming up, Rude. So mm. head to our website and join our wait list, which is happening next week. Mm. Wow. Yes. That's come quick. I know. Uh, so speaking of the community, what, what is happening? That's it. Well, last time we opened doors, I think it was the – it was like the very end of November, like the 30th of November. Yeah. It's this next one's now happening on the 20th of Feb to the 21st of Feb. So you got two days to jump in when we open it up. And uh, it won't be another three months until we open Mm. it again. So get in or miss out. But there's a lot going on in the community at the moment. And as always, we love to shout out our members. So here's a few people who are, you know, flying at the moment. First one to call out, Ari Davis, volunteer team manager at Western United Football Club, which is an amazing stepping stone. I reckon I talk to so many people who say, I want to be a team manager. Yeah. Not many people get to like, you know, just brush the surface of it and get a taste for it. So well done to you, Ari. Ethan Wren, he's gone back over to Perth, was working at the mighty Collingwood Mad Magpies. He's stepped into the Fremantle Dockers as a membership services officer. So well done to you, Ethan, making the shift back west but staying in the AFL. And then we got Ishan Dushmak, who is a volunteer race official for the Oz Grand Prix Corporation, which is coming very up. Very cool. Very, very cool. One of the best events in Australia. And uh, Tanishka Singh, match day coordinator at Melbourne Victory. So... Bit of football action, bit of world Very game so. action in the community this week. Which I, is a- I love how Ethan Wren is is trying to bring a premiership to the Dockers. He, yeah, he's got his flag with the Magpies, and now mm. he's he's heading west. So good on you, Ethan. He's actually a premiership winning membership services officer. Yeah, at, at Collingwood. So yep. good on you, Ethan. And he's got the tattoo to go with it. He does. He premiership tat. I love a- that. Absolutely, you got to do those things. Yeah. Uh, in terms of events coming up, plenty coming up. Last week we had a Q&A with uh, Vinny Gorham, who is another Sale yeah. GP uh, superstar, and uh, Dickie Curra, who ran a, a, a public speaking masterclass as well. So there's always something going on in the sports grad community. Coming up, we've got speed networking. We've also got a sports law masterclass. We've also got a leadership masterclass happening. Uh, we've just had the Melbourne meetup last Friday, mm. and we've got – Perth happening tomorrow, Adelaide happening tomorrow, Sydney happening on Thursday, which is where Nuts. you're going to be able to meet the magnificent Basha. So if you enjoy this episode, make sure you get along to that. But there's always a lot going on. There's always a lot of people to learn from. There's always a lot of jobs going on. If you want that all collated in one nice tidy place, the newsletter is where you're going to find it. It's tidy. Exactly. It's very tidy. Acacia's doing a terrific job pulling yeah. all that together because there's a lot going on. Yeah. If you want that head to sportsgrad.com.au forward slash newsletter and you can find Acacia's magnificent work in your inbox every Friday. We actually, before we get into the app, we actually said to Cash, we've got to get her on. Mm. We, we said that. So stay tuned for that because mm. I think that's coming up in the next few weeks, I would have thought. I think so. For a guest appearance or maybe even a whole pod. Maybe. Hey, um, also just those events coming up, like speed networking, we've got law masterclass, like we've got these meetups. If you're on the fence of being a member, jump in because there is so much coming up. There's so many opportunities all the way from coffee club to speed networking to masterclasses. Like you just – you won't get this anywhere. So mm. if you're on the fence, jump on board, head to our website. Super easy. We would love to have you in our community. Or wait till May when we do it again. Yeah, yeah. Or you, or you can start a year in May. Yeah. If you, if you want <laughs> If you want to. Yeah. Um, or, or you can take action now, which I would recommend doing. Definitely. In the meantime, though, grab a pen and enjoy this chat with Basha Sikorsky. Basha, welcome to the Sports Grab podcast. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Basha, ever since I last saw you, which was in uh, Saint-Tropez in September last year, I've been telling everyone about this amazing sailing event that I went to and how we went out in the water and got right up close next to these amazing catamarans. And uh, that was all thanks to you. 
And we randomly connected through LinkedIn. And so now it's such a pleasure to have you on the podcast to kind of share with all my family and friends who this person is, who introduced me to the great world of sailing. So welcome. Wow. Uh, well, thank you very much. That's a big introduction. <laughs> I hope I can love those, those expectations. I'm sure you are. I'm sure you are. <laughs> Basha, we, we start our podcast in a unique way. I'm sure you're a massive fan of the show, so it'd be no surprise to you. But uh, we start our episodes with some quick fire questions uh, for our audience to get to know you a little bit better before we delve into your career. So I will start with the first question, and that is, what was your first ever job? Oh, okay. So my first ever job was probably, well, I'd say officially the cafe. So I worked in a cafe when I was 14 and nine months. And then I went through retail and a whole bunch of other things. So yeah, I was, I was serving coffee. Nice. And what did you study at university? I studied commerce. I wasn't really sure what to, what to study, I guess, when I was um, leaving school and I was good at maths. I, you know, I think commerce is a bit of a, well, it's, it's quite a general um, degree, but it, it has that, you know, international relations side of it, business relations, um, HR, and also, um, you know, I guess it's just a, it was a good life skills in general when I didn't know what, what I was exactly going to do. Yeah, you're right. It's a good one you can was, take yeah. in any direction if, you, yeah. if you're still a bit unsure. When in doubt, to a commerce degree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I mean, I, so I studied yeah, at ANU and then I transferred because I took a break in, at uni and then I went overseas. And then I transferred to Sydney and finished my degree in Sydney. Nice. Uh, what's your favourite sporting moment? Um, so I, I guess I wasn't really, like I have to say, I wasn't really into sport before I started working in sports. I was an athlete, not an athlete. Um, I, yeah, so basically my, I guess I didn't really appreciate sports until I started working for it. And I have to say my favorite moment was after working for the Rio Olympics. So I was there for, you know, three years and it was just, um, it was, it was crazy. It was hectic. We, we were just working long, crazy hours and, you know, we started to build up and everything. And I think I saw my first event after five days after the Olympics had started. And it's just, I went to see Usain Bolt run 100 meters in the stadium in, 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 in Rio. And it was just, it was insane because you remember that that's why you're here. It's not, you know, all the logistics, all the other things, all the problems the journalists were having. I was like, wow, this is what we're doing. And, and it was a stadium of, I don't know, 60,000 people chanting Usain Bolt's name. And it was, it was crazy for me because... It just showed how sport it, it unites people, you know. And it was it it really it gave me like goosebumps because it was so many different nationalities chanting just for one person. And yeah, I just I it was it was impressive. That is amazing, and that that's like such a special hundred meter men's final to be at as well because of who Usain was. But that like I have a list of things I want to do in my life, and the hundred meter final is is on yeah. them. So I'm I'm very jealous hearing that story. <laughs> I, I saw also like Michael Phelps. I think my other one was Michael Phelps swimming um, in the Olympics as well. So that was that was a pretty big moment. I kind of, yeah, I got lucky and I went to these. I, you know, I sort of made cameo appearances because it's in between work. But I, I went to these two these these events and I was like, oh wow, this is this is just insane. It's amazing. And uh, what's your favorite interview question to ask of candidates? Um, gosh, I I think well, I like to get to know people and I like to let people speak um, as well. I think things come out naturally. So, you know, learning about people, learning about their experiences, you you sort of weave in questions that, that are relevant. But I do like to sort of ask and probe a little bit about what makes people different, what makes them quirky, um, why why they're interesting, you know, because I think that's that's the diversity and, um, you know, that, that side of people is, is what's interesting and what's, what's an asset to a job. So that's, that's usually kind of my, yeah, my favourite question to ask or at least something to, to find out about. Uh, what's a book or a, a podcast you'd recommend that's helped you at work? Um, gosh, yeah. So I, I uh, that's a long one, I guess. And I, I, I really, well, at the beginning of my career, when I finished my studies, I read this book called The Element and it's by Ken Robinson. It's about how people learn in different ways. And I think it helped me a lot to realize how, you know, our brains are structured differently. It's a lot about sort of that, that, neurodivergence as well and that success comes from different areas and you can learn in different ways so I was just talking about sort of how our perhaps our school system is a little bit outdated how people can learn with music with activities with you know and the successes that came from 
you know, the success stories that came from people that weren't necessarily, you know, a, a, a grade students or, or top level students. So that was, that was probably one of the interesting ones. I also liked, um, you know, the podcasts. I love NPR. They have really cool ones, which is um, the hidden brain ones. And there's also um, how I built this. And it talks about different entrepreneurs, talks about different people, talks about um, just how people got to where they were, but in, in really, I guess, from different ways of life and in different um, in different circumstances. So that, that was always interesting for me because I didn't feel like I um like I fit that that sort of pattern of, you know, doing really well at school, knowing what I wanted to do, becoming like a doctor or a lawyer or a public servant. And I was like, gosh, I'm just I'm so weird and I just don't know what I'm doing. I feel really lost. So I guess finding that really helped me with I guess anchoring my life a little bit because then I was like, oh okay, it's okay not to be, you know, uh, completely, let's say, standard and do, to be like everybody else. So that really helped me. And I think it's also interesting to hear about other people's stories and how people got there. And I love hearing about how um, people come up with ideas and how things sort of just happen on the fly and, you know, sometimes business ideas. And, you know, this whole thing about, you know, what you guys are doing, the networking, it doesn't really, it's not always planned. It's just it comes out of one thing, comes out of another, out of another. And it's just about being open to different ideas and being able to try different things and, and I guess also learning to fail and and um, learning from that. Mm. So, yeah, yeah. I, I recommend NPR and, and yeah, The Element and also I think um, Losing My Virginity by Richard Branson was a good one. <laughs> I do admire him quite a bit. Uh, what does NPR stand for? It's, um, I think, National Public Radio. It's, it's, the, it's an American... Um, radio station and they just basically do uh, like, so it's Hidden Brain and How I Built This and a few different ones that they have um, that they do just a cool, um, a lot of cool different podcasts. Yep, yep. I can send you guys links afterwards if you want to. Yeah, please do. Well, I think we're, we're building one of the great lists of books and podcasts for doing <laughs> this podcast, Basha. So we'll add it to the list. There's a serious list out there. Absolutely. And um, yeah. Bash, what's uh, one platform that you use at work that you couldn't live without? So yeah, I Google. I think um, I I I use Google Docs um, online a lot because it's you know you can build PowerPoints, you can do Excel sheets, you can do everything. And, and basically, in my line of work, you you really work on a lot of shared documents. So having shared drives and being able to have working documents really works. And having everything online because um, I, I've been known to to drop computers or drop some some um, things on my computer. So sometimes. You know, you can't really just back up, you know, on your, on, on your hard drive and I've been known to not back up. So <laughs> having everything on the cloud really is helpful because you can log in anywhere and, um, yeah, you just, you, you have everything and it's, it's got all the different platforms of PowerPoints, Excel sheets, um, Word documents, PDFs. So, I mean, it's, it's pretty boring, I guess, as a tool, but, but yeah, that's, that's probably one I couldn't live without. Google Drive's really helped a few documents, haven't they, over the years? <laughs> that's it. <laughs> uh, and finally, Bash, we get into it. If you had 30 minutes to pick anyone's brain, who would it be? Um, so for me, that one that one was a bit hard to, I guess, to answer because there's not one single person. I I, I, I really, I think I have FOMO in a lot of ways in that sense that I, I love picking everybody's brains. And over the years, something that I've really learned is that you find out the most interesting people um, interesting things for people that you wouldn't expect to be interesting. So just talking to, to strangers and talking to random people that have maybe jobs that you don't think are very important, you find out things about them that are just incredible. You know, I, I and um, recently and he found out that he was, his band was opening for Metallica, for example, and he's the AV guy in CLGP. Um, you know, that people have just had just amazing lives and it's just, it really is, I think, yeah, it's, it's not really answering your question, I'm sorry, but I think it just, I guess, talking to anyone and everyone and asking questions gives you such interesting insights where you don't really expect them, but yeah. No, I love that answer. Yeah, I, I love it as well. Yeah, that's, that's unique to anyone we've ever asked that question to before. So, um, and for those who, have, you know, can't haven't picked up on already, like you are very curious person which uh probably come which may which this this may come as no surprise to people but you have worked in probably more countries than other people will ever visit in their entire life is there 
anywhere in particular where like this sort of inspiration to work and travel around the world and you've taken with that ingrained curiosity everywhere you've been, did that inspiration to travel come from anywhere in particular? Um, I think, well, my parents, so my parents, I grew up in Australia, obviously my parents are um, both Polish, but I, I spoke Polish at home. I was learning French. I was always very curious to travel outside. I want, I, you know, I was just dying to go traveling. That was my kind of, um, my dream above anything else. I really wanted to discover, you know, the world. And I always felt really anxious that I wasn't going to see everything in my time. So sorry, from what age did you start to have that? compelling feeling gosh it's hard to kind of I guess yeah I'm really young I think because you know my I always knew that okay I had family in Europe so I wanted to do that to visit my family in Europe at some point I you know we always sort of had a lot of um, different cultures and different um, influences in the house so it was always something that I that was just always present Um, and I knew I guess as soon as I turned 18 I wanted to go traveling so I it was something that I was looking looking towards. I didn't know what I was going to do or how I was going to do it, but I just knew I needed to get out and see the world first and then see how things, you know, see what was going to happen after that. Nice. And so on that journey around the world, where did where did that take you? Gosh. Um, okay. So I, my first, I think my first, the first time I went overseas, I just did like a, I did a backpacking, um, sort of like four weeks backpacking around Europe. I was just dying to go overseas and I, I did that when I was 21 and then I came back um, to Australia and I was like, no, I need to go. I need to really visit and, and sort of, you know, it's it's one thing to, to travel, but it's a different thing to really live somewhere because you just, it's, you know, it's just a different a different kind of experience. And I, I got a taste of that, I guess, when I was traveling and I was backpacking and when you're, you know, when you're backpacking and as a tourist versus when you live, like when you stay even a few days with somebody that lives there, it's just a completely different experience. So yeah, I came back and I, I started my, uh, well, I think I was, yeah, I was continuing my studies and then I was looking into sort of different opportunities. My friends had all done sort of gap years um, in the UK and I was really adamant that I didn't really just want to do a gap year. I wanted to go somewhere where I could learn a language and really challenge myself so that it wasn't well, not wasted time, I guess, but, you know, it's just an extra challenge to throw yourself in the deep end. And I was learning French at the time. So I was looking, I think it was my French teacher that gave me this um, this site and the Ministry of um, Education in France does this sort of um, language assistant exchange. And you do like 10 months overseas in, in France in a French school and you teach English, basically. So I was, I, I applied for that. And, um, yeah, I did 10 months, 10 months in France and it was kind of a bit of a funny experience because you can choose 10 different cities when you, when you apply. And I just come back from my, you know, like sort of, uh, backpacking tour and I'd done all the South of, South of France. And I was like, oh, it's so glamorous. I'm going to, so I chose like all these, you know, glamorous cities like Cannes and you know, Marseille, Toulouse, everything in the South of France. And then I was like, oh, maybe Paris at the end. And when I got my um, when our acceptance letter, they 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 sent me this this town which I was like I'd never heard of it, and I looked on the map and I'm like, well, there's one in the north of France, but I'm like I don't really find the town that's that name in the south because it's not possible that you guys put me in the north if I've just everything in the south. And so they were like, no, no, that's that's where you're going. You're going to this place called Cambrai, which is population forty thousand people. And, um, yeah, it was this obscure town that was in the north and I was like, you know, expecting to be sort of on the French Riviera getting a tan <laughs> and I got placed in cold um, and grey part of France, which was, to be honest, um, amazing. It was an amazing experience. I was there for 10 months. There was 10 language assistants and um, this tiny town and I was teaching, you know, some of my students were actually older than me because I was teaching history and commerce and things like that in English. So I was kind of also learning a little bit with them too. But, um, yeah, and then, you know, I made really good connections there. And I, I mean, I'm still friends with the, with the 10 people that I was there with, which was 19 years ago now. So we, we still we, we send each other, like, WhatsApp group messages, you know, on a weekly basis. So it was really amazing. And that you know, made me really want to go back to Europe. I came back to Australia and I had to finish my degree. And then I got an offer in to work in Sydney. So then I, you know, I moved to Sydney and I finished my degree, but I was just really trying to, to, to at all costs sort of go back to Europe. Wow. 
What a story. That's very cool. <laughs> That's so good. I, I love how you guys are still in touch as well because it's incredible how like experiences like that bond a group of people for, for such a long time. Like even though yeah. like we're, you know, years out of Cricket Australia now, like we're still like in our WhatsApp group with our friends from back then like yeah. every, all, all the time. Um that's very cool. Like we'll we'll find out if we uh, stand the test of time for nineteen yeah. years. That's still yeah. Reminds me, I did this Croatia sale once, and like I'm still mates with them on Facebook, and I kind of <laughs> like see still see what they're doing today. I'm like, I haven't spoken to you in a while, but I'm sure if I dropped you a message, you'd be happy to reply. That's but anyway, it. probably a lower scale to what you're dealing with there, Basha. Well, you drop a message and see what they're up to. Sometimes you know they're just <laughs> reaching out to people. It's nice because then they might be in your area or they you know. It's it's really yeah yeah it's always worth it yeah we mentioned before we uh, jumped on your your resume is just out of this world and uh, the length of it we could we could talk for hours on but can you can you walk us through some of the events that you've you've worked on because it is quite a list okay so um, just going through the sporting events yeah I started um, really kind of well by accident let's say in in the Olympics in Rio. That was the first time I worked in sports, um, and that was in 2014, I believe, 2013, 2014. I started working for the local organizing committee, so I did the athletic, uh, sorry, the athletics, the Olympics and the Paralympics in Rio, and then um, from that, uh, sort of that sort of just grew um, exponentially, and I I was asked to go to Tokyo to, to sort of just for consulting to sort of share the the best practices of Rio. Then um, we moved to uh, Berlin. Um, in Berlin, I was working for the it was the first European Championships, um, which was in in Berlin and in Glasgow. So I was working there for um, a good couple of years. I think it was two years um, organizing that. Um, and then I also went and did um, the World Athletics and Asian Athletics in Qatar. I worked on handball in the um, west of France. I did Youth Olympics in Argentina and I did Winter Olympics in Korea, in Pyeongchang. I did also uh, some Winter Olympics in uh, Lausanne and then um, sailing, um, which I've been doing for the past five years. But at the same time, I've also been um, still engaged with the um, International Paralympic Committee, which is really like one of my passion projects. And that I, I also, you know, did the World Para-Athletics in Dubai and the World Para-Athletics in Paris, and um, they are going to be in Kobe, Japan this year. So that's, I think that's that's all of it, or most of it, yeah. My yeah. goodness. <laughs> you, that, that's just like, just event after event. <laughs> just continue going. Your frequent flyers would be out of this world. You'd think so, yeah. But, I mean, it's a hard one to keep up because I've changed countries. So I was going well on, like, um, BA for some time. And then when I've moved to France, now I'm on Air France. So then you just kind of, yeah. Well, you got to shift them got, around. Got about <laughs> 10 frequent flyer accounts yeah. flying around. And it's, you know, I combine them all together. It's a shame you can't combine them because I reckon I'd be like a platinum somewhere. But, yeah. you know, I'm just kind of randomly collecting points in different places at the moment. Mm. Um, you mentioned um, in the quickfire questions, and I remember you saying this to me uh, in person, that you don't really care about sport. So what is it that keeps you like doing all these different events? I mean, it's it's not that I don't care about sport. I think it's, um, I didn't really, I wasn't really interested in sport, to be honest, before. And, and again, it's quite a surprise to all my friends that I am I am working in sports because I was probably the least sporty person out of my friend friendship group. Um, what keeps me going, I think it's, it's what, what interests me is really working with, um, working with international people, working in international environments. Um, it's, it's the challenge, it's the pace, it's just, you know, um, it it really is, um, I guess a a fast paced environment. And I really love working with journalists. So I work with journalists and photographers, um, working with people that are really talented and dedicated to their jobs. It's really nice to be around that, you know, when you you know, I find that the same with with artists, with musicians, and things like that. And personally, I'm not I'm not really talented at, let's say, anything in particular. I I, I think my talent lies kind of more in bringing people together, or or sort of recognizing people that are talented that need to be connected. And I really enjoy being around people that have got that that passion and are just they love their they love their jobs. You know, it's so nice to be in that environment. And I was, you know, I. I 
I've worked in different areas, as we've mentioned before. You know, I worked in public service. I worked in corporate world. I lived in, I, you know, I lived in different places and worked in different industries. But um, that difference for me is people that are passionate, and and that that's what's really cool about it. You know, when you're in the public service, sometimes it's it's it can be a bit, let's say, demotivating because that nine to five, the people are just there. And I'm not saying that for everybody, and I'm not you know putting anything down in that sense. But in experience, you know, people. People sometimes are just there to do a job and to it's a means to an end. And I don't believe that work should be a means to an end. I think you you work so much in your life that it should be, you know, it is that, that, you know, find something you love and, and you'll never work a day in your life. That's, you know, it's a really big cliche. But again, I, I my parents are both, you know, artists and, and they were both kind of really pushing for me to do something that I love because it's so important to to enjoy your work, no matter what that. I guess the remuneration is at the day if you're not liking it. It's just, it's it's too much of a price to pay for that. No wonder it was quite jarring for you coming out of school when you're cl- clearly quite smart and school's trying to push you down a certain path and your parents are very creative and they're telling you follow your passions. It's it's no wonder why kids come out of school thinking like, what, what the hell do I do with my life? Because there's uh, a lot of forces at play. Um, I, you mentioned... Um, that you're in it for the people and you love the, the different people that you get to, to be around. I was wondering if you could speak to the um, environment of the Sale GP staff because I saw it firsthand in, in, in Saint-Tropez and you've got these collections of teams and people literally coming from every corner on the planet to put on a sailing regatta and then it goes to the next place and the next place and the next place and it's kind of like this – you know, traveling circus in a way, but everybody seems to be so tight. I was wondering, what, what's your experience with the people like it at Sail JP? Yeah, it, look, it's it really is like a traveling circus or like a gypsy caravan, we call it, you know, and it's 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 absolutely crazy at some times, but you really become, you know, it becomes a family because you spend so much time together and you rely on each other so much because, you know, an event doesn't really happen unless everybody's invested in it and you know one department can be successful if another one's not it doesn't really matter so it's it really does you know build like this sort of um I guess this vibe of that family that we're all relying on each other we're all here to help each other and sometimes it takes a little bit of time to build that up because you know you don't you come in you know when I'm coming into events that are sort of short events you sort of come in and you get thrown together and then you leave but the really cool thing about CLGP is that we are constantly sort of doing the same same thing but you know having said that it's completely different each time even if we go like somewhere like Saint-Tropez we've been to like three times or Sydney where we're coming back I think for the fourth or the fifth time every time is different every time there's a new challenge and every time we've already changed as a company we've grown but having those people that you know you, you know they've got your back and you know that you've got theirs no matter what it's it's really it's really cool and you come to understand, I guess, everybody's different areas and what they're the importance of every single area in a in envir- an environment where it's you know it's a huge sporting event. It's it's not just the athletes. It's not just you know the 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 F fifties or the boats. There, it's it's literally every single person's role is is crucial, and it's and it's yeah, you have to appreciate that. You know, it, it does come across as a place that people really enjoy being there and people want to be there. I was wondering like what what's going on at like a at a higher level and like what are some of the foundations and you know purposes behind what uh, the sale GP is. So I mean it's for me it's it's quite interesting and this is also probably one of the the reasons that I I do love working at sale GP and why why I think it's it's important to have a multifaceted kind of I guess passion about it. So for for sale GP what what really I guess keeps me there and you know what attracted me there is that we were a startup and it was just really you know I didn't know anything about sailing um you know I'm still learning to be honest um and I still say some stupid things every now and then but um it's you know it it was this dynamic startup that just came about I, I I was there from the very very beginning and it grew exponentially but it also grew with with meaning you know um not only do we have the sports and the sports side is like in you know huge you know entertainment property now it's become, you know, it's become something that's that's famous and that's become like a really, it's it's interesting because I used to, and I've seen this now because I used to um, 
when people asked me where I worked, it was, I was like, oh, I worked for CellGP and I had this feel of like what it is. And now I'm like, oh, it's CellGP. And they're like, oh yeah, I know CellGP. I'm like, oh, what? Oh, wait. Oh, okay. Because <laughs> you're used to sort of uh, explaining it to people. But for me, that important aspect of it is really that, you know, we work a lot on the um, diversity, equity, you know, the inclusion side of it. And that's, that's something that's really important, um, especially in, you know, you know, the current environment, but really putting, putting in like, half of that you know what we do is the impact league and the sports league so really really having that emphasis on on things that are that are important and that are you know you feel like you're making a positive impact you're not just putting together an event but you're you know maybe you know there's there's the whole inspire um program for us so we you know um we have a program that um engages like young young students young children young sailing clubs underprivileged schools and all that um sort of you know different different youth in different aspects of um, sail GP, so not just sailing, but technology. Um, you know, uh, we have young photographers. We have, um, you know, people in communi- young people in communications. So it's just, it's a little bit. It's about inspiring that. So that that goal, I guess, at the top is is to become a, a big, famous, and you know, obviously profitable sports um, entertainment entity. But it's also at the same time to 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 make a positive impact, and and that's that's quite important and to make it meaningful and, and not just say what we're doing something, but it's, but it's, you know, it's actually putting your money where your, where your mouth is. And that's, you know, really important for me to have that. Yeah. Awesome. I think watching it recently, I, I was uh, watching the, I think the meet in Dubai. Was that in December? I think it was. Um, mm-hmm. I love the broadcast. It was just maybe like the, the graphics on the broadcast, just the way they spoke about it, the energy, it was unreal. And uh, I actually watched it with my mom over over December, it was quite fun, uh, but it was absolutely outstanding. But what I loved was the the gender equity. Like, there's so so many females and males all in the same boat, and it's not just a male dominated sport. Like, you know, you'd look at F1; it's very just quite male dominated. Whereas Sail GP looks like it's it's really the same same, and I think that's that's really cool to cool to see. Is that sort of part of I guess one of the main strategies that you've got behind it is to really push the gender side of things as well. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, a couple of years ago, they um, created a women's pathway program to really um, engage a lot of the female athletes and bring up that talent, which, which has been really crucial and really a really great program, to be honest. Um, and, you know, while sailing is, is still, it's still a male dominated um, sport and, and even just in this general, the sports industry is quite male dominated, but um we have, you know, not in, not just in sailing, but we've also um, uh, sort of partnered with a group called Apex now, and they're doing a women's accelerator program, which is internally for um, women in the business. So it's also it's a mix of athletes and a mix of sort of young professional women to give them sort of uh, mentors and skills and sort of how to, yeah, I guess how to advance and how to build their careers. So that's a really interesting part of it because it's not just on the water. And I think it's also admitting that we still have a long way to go. You know, it's sort of going, okay, we've got a lot of successes and building on those successes as opposed to just resting on your laurels and being like, oh, okay, we've, we've done the token sort of thing, now we're good. So it's, it's yeah, it's that's a really important part for me. And, and personally, I'm, I'm part of the Inclusion Action Group as well. And um, I'm sort of heading that, the group of women of SailGP. So we have about, I think, close to 100 women in, um, in that group now. And it's, you know, um, athletes, it's uh, team managers, it's, you know, we have um, not just women in that group, it's, it's obviously also men that, that you know, are, are allies and want to support. So that's been a really interesting one and we've been doing different, um, different engagements on, on site and online and, and one of them really recently was with one of our sponsors um, with our key partner Mbadala in Abu Dhabi where we met their women's group and had like a bit of a speed networking session, which was, you know, just really great to meet other women in, you know, the finance industry and talk about different different aspects of careers and just get to know each other. So, yeah. When you're coming up with these sort of strategies and, and action plans to help equality, because you're such a new sport and everything's kind of a, a blank canvas, with this particular strategy, did you look at anybody else and think, they're doing it really well, we should kind of emulate what they're doing? Or did you see it more as a chance to be like, we're starting from scratch, we can really create this program to be whatever we want to be? 
I think it's a bit of both, to be honest. You need to um, look at success stories, but also I think being, you know, um, coming from different different sports that are much more established, um, there is just an ease of being able to implement things and try them and sort of you have less pushback because it's, you know, sometimes it's it's a, it's a very big hierarchy, it's a very big history and people, that, that change, it's, it's a bit slower to implement. So um, being new is definitely a huge advantage um, and, you know, it's being dynamic and I guess also making sure that we have we have really great staff and I think it's it's something that's, that's a key aspect to this, that you have people that come from different walks of life. So it's not just people that have come from sailing or people that have come from, you know, a certain side of it. It's people that have come from different, um, really different, different walks in life and that bring their own spin to it. And it's, it's being able to sort of take ideas and go, Hey, let's, let's run with this. Let's see what, what happens. And, and let's, let's sort of that not trial and error, but not being afraid to try different things and, and really implement maybe sometimes, things that are more like, I don't know what to say, but like, you know, maybe more risky or just a bit more impactful and then mm. seeing how they go as opposed to being sort of slow and, and, and cautious. Yeah, I do love that about SailJP, how everything seems like, you know, if you've got an idea, if you want to take a risk, there's a, there's a license to do so, which um, I think is a breath of fresh air in the, the world of sport. Um, I want to switch lanes slightly to uh, your job in particular and what you do on the ground with SailJP. And uh, I've watched you in action. It's enough to make anybody melt and think how on earth does she do it all? And I wanted to know if, um, if there are any people in particular who you've learnt from along the way. And uh, if so, are there any particular lessons that they taught you on your journey that have really stuck with you for your career? Gosh, um, I think you, you take learnings from everybody really that you, I mean, not, I guess not, not the people that are, that aren't great, but <laughs> I've had like, I've been pretty lucky to work with a lot of great people. And I think it's, it's uh, a lot of it also is, is working with different people and having that experience culturally and also being open to different, different cultures. Also, I guess working with, um, you know, people of different abilities and different, you know, like neurodivergent people and, and that sort of thing, just learning about different ways of thinking and I guess that creative process. So one of the things I guess is, is also being transparent. Um, you know, I've, I've, you know, I, when I was working, I was working at Legal Aid and I had, you know, a great boss who was always very, very open, very blunt and very, you know, um, just matter of fact. And I think that's really important. I remember also when I was in working in Rio, we were working, um, with media and there was a lot of issues and, and my boss there was always very much, you know, very transparent about all the issues that came about to, to media, for example, that, you know, here are things that are going to happen or here are the issues that we're encountering because it's when you, when you are transparent, you're, you know, people are, you know, have time to, I guess, adjust to things. And also you you know, you make feel people feel comfortable and sincere. So that transparency has been really important for me, I guess. Um, in work and, and you know um, dealing with clients, dealing with people when you when you can just give them you know honest answers and, and honest um, expectations and I guess just yeah multitasking I think that just comes with a with a need for it because you end up just with sixteen things to do and it's I guess multitasking has always been my strength I'm my weakness is really just being able to focus on one task and. Um, you know, if you give me one thing to do in a week to do it, I'll 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 do it last minute. If you give me sixteen thousand things, I'll do seven. You know, I'll do seventeen thousand of them, and I can do that in one day. But it's it's you know it's a skill and and also sometimes a, a negative. So you have to sort of learn to hone into your let's say um, your good points and then sort of learn how to manage the the bad ones. So yeah, I think it's yeah I I, I guess it's it's a matter of. I don't know, it's a very long-winded answer again. Sorry, it's not very clear, but it's just, it's, there's no, it's sort of hard to pinpoint one thing, but I think you just pick up things along the way each time and it's it's really just about managing people, making sure that, that um, it's also, I think, wanting to to succeed and wanting to make sure that everybody's okay. So that, that kind of comes with that multitasking and making sure that we're all sort of juggling things and you know that other people are too. So it's not like, you know, you're not like, oh God, I'm doing everything and nobody's doing anything. You're like, oh God, let's do sixteen thousand things because everybody's doing sixteen thousand things, and I need to make sure that I'm I'm not dropping the ball and 
you know, leaving people with, with more work than they, than they can handle. It, it is funny how the more tasks someone gets given, the, uh, the better they get at time management because you're almost forced into it. I know I was like that during uni where like, I think when I, when I was doing my first degree, before I dropped out, if I just had like one subject to focus on, I'd be like, oh, I'll do this last. But then when I started my sport management degree and actually started caring about it and doing everything around it I needed to do, suddenly my week was full. Yeah. And, um, uh, but I was getting through it all rather than leaving it to the last minute. I think the, there's a technical term for it called Parkinson's law, I think, where like you will, you will basically you'll, you'll get whatever you need to do done in the shortest amount of time possible, closest yeah. to when it's due. Um, yeah. So um, yeah. it's just part of human nature, I guess. <laughs> I mean, I, I feel like there are some people, you know, and I, I guess it depends and it depends what your strengths are, but there are some people that are really good at, you know, planning things out and, and doing things in a, in a very, you know, sort of, um, I guess, stretched out way and doing little, little bits and pieces and things like that. But I found, I guess, also people that work in, in events, are probably not that you sort of tend to gravitate towards people that are similar to you. Mm. So I find, you know, a lot of the people I work with are also neurodivergent in, in, you know, a lot of photographers are very much on this, on the spectrum because, you know, they have, they have certain talents and skills and it's, and it's just amazing to watch people, but it's, it is a bit of a unique environment when you're working in sports, I think, because you, you, or, you know, or events anyway, because you kind of, there's no room to be, sort of wondering which mm. thing I'm going to do first or how am I going to do it? So you kind of, you end up, I guess, people with that sort of mentality end up in these sort of um, industries as well. Mm. Um, I want to blend in a little bit of your Olympics experience in with Sal GP and sort of can understand how the day in the life compares. So obviously you've got a massive Olympic Games compared to Sal GP. What does that look like? I guess like sale GP is just doing Olympics every month. Um, <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know, it's that, that difference was really that um, when I was working for the Olympics, it was my first, so my first Olympics, you know, we had, we had like two years to deliver something. And, and for me, that was, you know, it was actually quite cool because I came from, I think I was at Microsoft and sort of, and also then before that I was just, you know, working in, in, in private industry and it's, it's quite, you don't have these set goals. You have monthly achievements, you have monthly KPIs. It's different sort of, um, it's an ongoing thing, but having this two year goal was, was like really great for me. And I was like, this is, this is awesome. And again, you're working day in, day out with, um, yeah, to plan, to plan something. And it's constantly changing. We had, um, you know, Rio was quite challenging and we had a lot of, um, changes, a lot of budget issues. And it was just at some point I was like, oh my God, this isn't going to happen. This is just not going to happen because it's, it's just, it's impossible. How can, how can things be like this? Because it was my first, you know, my first um, time with it. And then, you know, you, you get to Olympics. So, you know, your day, your day to day is kind of like you have a quieter days, but then in the lead up, it gets crazy. So, you know, we had like five or six months where I maybe had one or two days off, but it wasn't, I didn't really notice it because you're just like, you've got your head in it and you're like, right. You know, media, media, for example, came two months out to Rio and they started setting up in the, you know, main press center and the international broadcast center. And you're working full, full, full time to sort of deliver it. And then it starts and you're like, oh, it's, it's started. It's fine. And you have, you know, um, a certain amount of time to get things right. So, you know, the Olympics is, is over, is over a, like a two week period almost. So you get into it and, you know, by day five, you're like, oh, okay, things are, things are good now. Everything's running smoothly. And you, you get into it with GP, The, the difficulty, I guess, is that we get in there and we get out. So we have three days. We don't have two weeks. Um, essentially we have two days of, of, um, competition, but with, with, um, you know, media, we have that extra day where you have a practice day. So we start with a press conference on that Friday. So we have a three day event, but we don't have that sort of grace period where we have like, we get into that groove and we go, okay, now everything's going well because it's just, you don't have time. So you have to get in there and do it. But on the other sort of, you know, conversely, you're also doing it every month almost. So you do get into a pattern where you're like, okay, you get in, you get out. It's kind of like a, you know, um, step and repeat. Although having said that it's, it's vastly different at the same time each time, but you, you do have the basics down. So you kind of go in and it's, it's more of a smooth, smooth and well-oiled machine whereas yeah olympics it's kind of a very long build-up to a to a short event because you feel like if you've been working for a few years to it 
and then it's just like a two week event. And then, you know, then we had Paralympics, but then you just like, what happened? You know, like I just, yeah. you know, I spent all this time and now it's all gone and like, wow. <laughs> so it's just, yeah, it's, it's, it's very different, but interesting in both ways. Yeah. Um, you've been with SailGP for I think five and a half years now, which um, I'll scroll on through your LinkedIn. It looks like it's the longest that you've stayed in any job in your journey hopping around the world. What is it that's kept you going at this job? So my, yeah, I think this and um, I, working at Legal Aid actually was probably my other uh, other longest um, tenure because I was I was there during um, my, um, whilst I was studying. Um, what's kept me here, I guess, is that, so, you know, Olympics and, and whatnot, I, I guess if you see a lot of people that do Olympics and sports, we, there is a lot of hopping around because you, you work, you know, normally if you look at somebody's CV and you see that, it it's not a very good sign, right? If you're at different places for, you know, six months, five months, three months, it kind of looks a bit dodgy, like, but because it's the nature of sports events, you're, you know, you have different kind of, you know, roles. So you have a games time role, which will be a month. And then you have a, a role, which is more of a, you know, organizational role where you're building up the whole thing. So then you've got like longer, but you're not usually there for, for longer than a couple of years. The Mesa LGP has been, it's, you know, we've, it's been kind of like a, it's a long-term project it's a league that's growing and it's building and the challenges are constant so I don't feel like I've had a moment to sort of plateau and be like oh I've, I've got this now um and I, I I've sort of I guess you know you can do that and you can sort of just do your job and do the basics and and you know you can get by but for me that I think the most important thing is that you you can challenge yourself and you can grow and you can grow your area you can grow different things and learn new things so I find that we constantly have that in, in GP. We are constantly doing different things. We are going to new places, adding teams, you know, we have different, um, I guess we, we have bigger goals and, and, um, you know, the, the whole, um, inclusion side of it too. So it just, it's, it's growing and it's constantly challenging. So that's, that's something that I think it has kept me there for, for this long time. And also a lot of the part of it is also the people, you know, a large part of, of, of a great work environment is having people that you like working with, that you trust, that you can rely on because you, you really need to. Having like a challenge, a constant challenge or something to work towards is like such an important thing because we talk to a lot of young people in their, in their roles and see them get into these amazing roles and then even, you know, as soon as 12 months later, they're like, I'm ready to leave because this organisation is kind of keeping me at the same level as not really anywhere else to, to step into. And so you see a lot of people burn out and you know go elsewhere like you lose them because there's nowhere to go and it's probably also because they're doing the same thing every year like it Mm. sounds like because sale gp is like a startup it's constantly innovating it's constantly changing you know i can think of some other sports that probably just replicate the same thing each and every year so Mm. it's understandable you know for people who are just going to do the same thing again they probably don't feel like they need to be there any longer i mean i think also you know to me it's you can make any job interesting for yourself and i think that's something that i've learned you know in in my recent years let's say all my my long years of different careers but um you can really you can carve out your own job so you know i could potentially be doing exactly the same thing that i've been doing for five years but because i want to learn you know, I've been coming up with different ideas. I've been saying maybe we could do this. Highlight that because I've had other jobs that are, you know, you know, I've worked in public service jobs where then I started doing, um, you know, I started taking up different responsibilities because I was bored and I was like, well, how can I learn? So maybe I can be part of this group or maybe let me take care of this side of it. And I think that's something maybe important to, to, to sort of get across to young people that, you know, if your job does get boring, have a look first if, if you can make it better, talk to people in the organization, see if you can learn from them in different areas, you know, that's, that's really the, the big part for me, I think was that I, I would, I, I spent a lot of time talking to people and asking them what they do in different areas. And that, that was something I started with in, in Microsoft when I joined as an intern, I made a, I made a point to make an appointment, like a, like a half an hour appointment or like a lunch appointment with everybody in my office. And I was like, well, what's your job? How did you get here? What are you doing? And, you know, that's also what, you know, with, with CellGP, what I'm trying to do with our women of CellGP network and sort of those sort of parts of trying to get people to, 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 you know, talk more about what they're doing and they, they learn from each other. So yeah, I, I agree with that. But I also think that 
you can make any job meaningful. Yeah, it definitely takes a certain type of person. And um, funny hearing that you went around to everyone and said, hey, who are you and what's your job? Because when I got to this Cricket Australia, that's exactly what I did as well. <laughs> and I was like, am I stepping out of place here by meeting all these people? Because half the people in my team like, just like, just do your job. Stay Why here. are you doing this? Yeah, exactly. Exactly <laughs> right. Yeah. You could have started so, you know, this podcast. That's was, exactly what this is about. <laughs> yeah. Then You know, I, 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 I was a bit like unsure, but then at the same time, when you do that, people are actually happy to, they're happy to be, um, to, to actually be asked questions and they're, they're not, you know, I was always like, Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm, I don't, you know, people are so busy and I'm like, Oh, I don't, I don't really you know, want to annoy you, but I really am interested in what you do. And you find that even the busiest people will make a moment to, to speak to you because it's, it's nice to be asked and it's nice for somebody to take interest in, in that, you know, and, and that's, that's, you know, you never know until you ask and you, you know, like I always say, you've always got the no. Yep. Start with a no and then you go up. I think particularly while you're early in your career as well, you can really take advantage of that. Yeah. I mean, I still do it now. I still, mm. you know, when there's new people join, I still just, um, I, I, I try to catch up with them and just try to know because yeah, everybody, like I said, everybody has different and interesting, um, stories and, and, and I guess this comes from even, you know, when I was it's a bit of a tangent, but when I was in Belgium, I had homeless people that lived outside of, like near, well, was sort of near my, my place. And I used to stop and talk to them all the time. I'd, you know, we'd, um, we'd, we'd bring them food and, and whatnot, but I, I, they spoke three languages and had the most amazing, um, you know, backgrounds. And I was like, wow, you know, and you guys are homeless. This is, this is crazy. And just, you know, everybody has different skills. Everybody that you speak to has some sort of interesting experience. So you just, you can't discount that. And I think that's, that's what makes it interesting. Finally, Basha, what advice would you give to someone in a media coordinator role looking to advance their career to the level that you're at right now? Gosh, I think I, I think basically try um, try everything you can. Work in different areas. Ask questions. Um, don't be afraid of failure. Um, and again, um, I, I think it's also worthwhile to you know look into other areas and volunteer in other areas. You know, for example, if you're if you're working in media operations, go and and broadcast go do an event in 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 you know technical and be a technical delegate um uh let's say volunteer and things like that because all the aspects for me really help you understand your job there's not i, I really believe in in having that sort of holistic approach because you really understand your job better you understand other people's jobs better and you 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 learn so much there's no area that you can't learn in so i would say just just Get as much exposure to, to different sports, different areas. Even if it's not sports, you can, you know, you can get those skills elsewhere. If your dream is to work in sports, if you're not working in sports, you can you can still get experience. You can still get exposure, and you can still, you know, always meet people. So yeah, I guess just get as much experience anywhere, and I wouldn't be worried about the levels. You know, that's one thing that I'd say is where people sort of worry about hierarchies and where they are and if they're not advanced fast enough. I think that that it comes, those things sort of come with when you're passionate and when you're doing something you love, it'll come naturally to you. You, you need to focus on the things you're good at and the things you enjoy and learning and getting, I guess, yeah, when you focus on the sincere side of it, like, wow, I really want to get experience. I really want to know more. I really want to have that curiosity the other things will come naturally. But if you're just focused on sort of getting to a certain point in your life, I don't think that maybe events or this is potentially for you. You know, it's, it's again, it's it's a different sort of world. And it, and I, I, yeah, personally, and this is just my own, I guess, my own views and my own experience. But I think it's just about that sincerity, curiosity, and looking to, to leave a legacy as opposed to get somewhere and get a salary. I love that. Leave a legacy. Never, never really mm. chatted about that before. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> um, before we wrap up, that's Ruth, something that I, I always say to, to people: you have to leave a legacy. I like that. Don't just do a job, grab a salary, and go. Mm. Not leave something behind. Fantastic, um, Ruth. Before we wrap up, any other episodes relating to Basher that we can have a look at? Yeah, well, we've heard all about how magnificent the uh, SailJP team are. If you want to hear a little snippet of about twenty different people who do twenty different jobs. Uh, you can listen to the episode from me on the ground in St. Tropez last year, which I think was around the uh, episode 255 mark-ish. And then um, if you want to hear from the chief content officer, uh, Melissa Lawton, 
She is in episode 237. She was the second one of last year. So uh, check her out as well. Great memory of the episodes. Our man on the ground, that is is a great episode. Mm. Uh, I'm sure Bashy would have enjoyed Rube walking (laughs) around the Sale GP event, um, which was amazing. So... Fantastic. Well, Basha, thank you so much for joining us tonight. We uh, have absolutely loved hearing about your journey. And as, you, as I said at the start, that resume is, is doing things. It's, it's amazing. Um, and just hearing some of your experiences at these incredible events um, is just amazing. And honestly, looking at GP after sort of Ruse went last year and having taken a bit more of an interest in it, it's just an incredible, incredible event and looking forward to getting over to Sydney and, and checking it out. So Thanks again for joining us. Um, well, look, thank you guys so much for having me. And I hope, I think, Ruben, you're coming to Sydney. Are you coming as well, um, right? That's the plan, yeah. Sydney event? Oh, great. Well, we'll look, I look forward to meeting you in person and I'll, I'll look forward to seeing you again, Ruben. And I really hope that your trip to Sydney is, um, let's say, um, less eventful than your trip <laughs> to San Tropez. So. I hope, it was I hope, still a great story. So yeah. That's it. I hope so too. Go back and listen to that episode if anyone wants to find out what we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Basha. I love that story. I think it's Thank you, guys, and um, look forward to Sydney. Thanks, Basha. Guys, it is time now for the People's Segment of the podcast, Our Sports Grad, where every week we answer a question directly from our community. As we said at the top of the episode, if you would like to become a Sports Grad member and ask us a question, head to our website and join our wait list. The community is back open for business next week, so get around it and get involved. Rubes, this question comes from Dhruv and he says, I was applying for an internship where they asked to upload an online portfolio, but it wasn't mandatory. Is it necessary to have an online portfolio which shows your work experience and the projects you've worked on in the industry? If yes, should it be a PowerPoint or something else? Mm, great question. Great question. And uh, I like that this internship has kind of opened your eyes to an option that you can take to make yourself stand out when applying Mm. for a job. But it's not mandatory. However, I'm going to make it mandatory for you right now, Drew. (laughs) If it says it's not mandatory, do it. (laughs) Do it. Yeah, do it. Um, And you ask, is it necessary? No, it's not necessary. But if you want to stand out, then doing things that other people are not prepared to do is necessary. And so I can imagine that probably 95% of people will probably see the optional button and think, oh, I'm not Mm. going to do this. I'll just send in my resume. Here's my cover letter that I've sent to 20 other organizations and I haven't updated any of it. Get the template out. Yeah, exactly. Whereas you, Drew, and all the other sports card members, you are going to make an online portfolio because you are going to stand out. You're going to show that you go above and beyond for the applications, which is then going to represent the kind of work that you are going to do when you get inside the organization. So... You are going to put your best foot forward by doing absolutely everything that they uh, have asked for and might want and haven't asked for as well. So, yes, I would definitely do this. Now, how should you do this? Well, there's a couple of different ways. You can use simple no-code online tools to build out your portfolio. What I mean by that is you can use things like Canva to create an online PowerPoint You could also use Google Slides as well to showcase your work and then you simply share the link and let anyone who's got the link view your work. Or you can use platforms like Notion as well, which allow you to create basically a blank web page and then publish that web page and share the link as though you're sharing a a standard URL. So Notion, Canva and Google Slides are probably the three online tools I would recommend to build it. Anything more fancy than that, you enter the space of like building your own website with, you know, mm-hmm. Wix or Squarespace or WordPress, whatever, Webflow. And um, that's probably a bit too much work for what you're, you know, what you're trying to achieve here. Um, you know, if you're applying for a design or, you know, developer role, then absolutely, you know, build yeah. a website to prove that you can build websites. But if you're just trying to show a portfolio of work, some of these other platforms are much more simple to use and definitely do the job. So, Yes, Drew, definitely go and create your portfolio and uh, find a simple tool to do it on. Nice. Yeah, I love that. If it says not mandatory, the lesson here, Mm, it's mandatory. Do it. It's mandatory for you if you want to excel. If you want to stand out, just (laughs) Mm. do it. Brilliant. Well, if you'd like to ask a question like Drew, become a SportsGrab member, 
each week we jump on virtual events like Q&As, speed networking and job fairs where it's an open floor for you to ask us and industry professionals any of your questions. And all of these sessions are recorded. So when you join, you get an immediate access to over nearly 60 hours of content now, by the way. And that is exclusive to you as a SportsGrab member. In the meantime, find us on LinkedIn and give us some love with a rating. If you enjoy the show, flick it on to a mate if you think they'd enjoy it as well and subscribe on Apple and follow on Spotify. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Hey friends, one last thing before you go. If you really want to make an impact in sport, then subscribe to the SportsGrad newsletter. Inside, we share all the latest job openings and networking events, so you're always aware of opportunities to land a job and grow your network. Plus, we share a Q&A with a professional on how they grow their career in sport. Here we talk about things like how they moved overseas or negotiated their salary or landed a new job or promotion, made a career change and so much more. It's kind of like a little boost of inspiration in your inbox before the weekend. So if you're like us, you're career driven and you're keen to progress quickly, you're going to love the SportsGrad newsletter. To get it, head to sportsgrad.com.au forward slash newsletter to subscribe or follow the link in the show notes. See you next time.